Good morning and welcome to the Jesuit Institute Hour here on Radio Veritas this morning. My name is Frances Correa and this morning I have Pamela Moringa in the studio with me. Good morning everyone. So today we're going to have a couple of slightly unusual conversations. Um, Pamela and I are going to have a bit of a conversation together around Catholic social teaching and climate change, which I think is very much on all of our hearts at the moment. And then a little bit later in the show, we'll be having um, a conversation between some of the young adults working at the Jesuit Institute at the moment, got together and had a conversation together about being young people at the moment, being youth in South Africa and what that means for them, uh, which I think is quite exciting to listen to. Uh, And then towards the end of the show, we'll just be reflecting on this sacred season that we find ourselves in. We're in the week between the celebrations of the the Feast of Pentecost and the Feast of the Trinity. And so we'll just be thinking a little bit about what what is the significance of that for us now. So, Pamela. Yes, Frances. Uh, so I, I, I understand that you've been reading and uh, studying a lot on uh, Laudato Si. And it seems as if uh, the extreme droughts in the in the Cape and uh, the storm in Cape Town are the signs of are the signs of climate change. So the climate change is supposed to to make the the weather more extreme, and then we are seeing that happening now. So can you please tell us what is climate exchange? What is climate, climate change? change? Sorry. So it's a good question, Pamela. Climate change. As I understand it, and I'm, I'm not a climatologist, but uh, as those of you who know me well know, I do like to, to read quite a lot of what the Vatican is putting out. And Pope Francis has written quite a lot about climate change. So climate change is fundamentally what is going on in the world when the temperature, the average temperature of the planet is heating, the polar ice caps are melting, there's more water in Uh, in the sea, so the seas are rising, and what this seems to be provoking in the planet is more extreme weather. And we are really seeing an example of this in the Cape at the moment. Simultaneously, we've seen the Cape be in this extreme drought, the Eastern Cape still suffering from the extreme drought, and it's the extreme drought, of course, that is that is fueling the, the terrible, terrible fires that are hitting Neisner, hitting uh, Sedgefield, the, those places really being just just horrifically damaged by fire. Those of you who are watching, uh, we've got ENCA up on the screens here, and we can just see those fires. It's, it's, it's unbelievable, the flames coming through, and we know that about 10,000 people have been evacuated. So that extreme drought and then followed, immediately followed, not by gentle rains, but by the storm that hit the Cape yesterday, starting the night before, hit Cape Town, hit the eastern, the Western Cape. And we've experienced that even up here in Joburg. We had flooding for the first time in my lifetime in Joburg. Mm-hmm. I didn't think you could flood in Joburg. <laughs> you know? So the kind of weather we're seeing is more extreme, and that's what people have been predicting since the 1980s. Scientists have been saying... You know, they they have these simulations of the planet, and they've been saying if we release more water into the atmosphere, if the polar ice caps melt, if global warming happens, what's going to happen is the dry areas will become drier, our storms will become more violent, weather will become more destructive, and we're mm-hmm. seeing that. We're really seeing that. We're experiencing that right here in South Africa at the moment. Mm. And uh, what does the climate change 
what does the climate climate change uh, uh, um I mean, what does the church mean by uh, the common good? Okay. And how does the climate change a, co- a common good? How is it a common good? Okay, so that's a really good question. So, so when the church is thinking about something like climate change, it leans into an economic concept called the common good. So the common, common goods, common goods are things that belong to us in common. That's what it, it essentially means, that we all own them. So a, a good example of that is air. Nobody owns the air. We all breathe the air. No one can say, this is my piece of air and you have to pay me for it. We all have access to the air. So the air is a common good. The oceans are seen as being a common oceans. Most of the oceans are seen as belonging to the whole world in common. They don't belong Mm. to any one person. Coastal regions maybe, but the whole of the oceans belong to everyone. Places like the polar caps belong to us in common. Climate. The climate is the um, that thin band of of breathable air that that is around the, cl- the planet in which our weather happens is a common good. It belongs to everyone. And so it's whatever, whatever happens to it affects everyone. Hmm. Um, and there's, there's a, a very nice um, concept in, in economics. They talk about the tragedy of the commons. And I think it's worth just thinking about the tragedy of the commons with regard to the climate. So the problem with something that belongs to everyone is that it also belongs to no one. Uh, and, and what happens with things that belong to no one? No one protects them. No one enforces legislation around them. So let me give you, let me give you a classic example. So the classic example is... Um, my house is mine and I am meticulous and clean and tidy and I work quite hard to keep my house neat and tidy. Outside of my house, outside of my gate, is the street and the street belongs to everyone. Do I go outside and clean up my bit of the street? Do I clean up the whole street? Or do I see that the responsibility of the street is somebody else's? Mm. Now, for lots of people, it can be, well, I, haven't, I just don't have the time or the energy to worry about something that belongs to all of us in common. You know, we should all look after it, but the reality is no one does. Mm. And, and that would be why, you know, that would be why cities employ people to wander around and clean the streets. Because if you didn't do that, the streets would pile up in rubbish because no one takes individual responsibility for the street. Mm. And that's like a a local example. If we can't take responsibility as all the people who live on the street to keep our street clean, then we need the municipality to step in and take responsibility for that. Mm. Now let's think about the climate. The climate is something that's affected by us driving cars, by industry. We've been seeing, you know, people who can go back and track climate change, Radical climate change beginning in about the 1850s, mid-1800s, with the rise of industrialization. Um, In some ways, thanks be to God for our advances in technology, we were still operating on steam-driven uh, on steam-driven de- industry, like the, 19, the 1850s era, we would we would be in an even worse situation than we are now. But who who says you can't pump loads of carbon dioxide into the air? Who says you can't um, dump toxins in the water? Who who controls that? And the answer is, to some degree, no one, because all of this stuff is held in common. 
Mm. And we're just beginning to wake up to the reality that we need to have some protection in place. Mm. And so the tragedy of the commons is that no one protects what belongs to us all. And we, we need to start thinking about things like the air, like the purity of our water, as really being um, issues that we as a whole people, all the people on earth should take seriously. Hmm. Interesting. So now what I would like to know is what does the social, the Catholic social teaching say about this? Okay. It's a good question. So Catholic social teaching, the body of Catholic social teaching, has just had a huge input on climate change, and that comes from Laudato Si. So you will remember two years ago, Pope Francis wrote an encyclical, Laudato Si, on the care of our common home. So he's using words like common. Our common home, the earth. We, we, we only have one home, and that's the earth. And he's really trying to get people to change their mindset from one where you go, this is my piece of land, I'll look after that, but what do I hold in common I don't worry about because someone else can worry about it. He's really wanting us to all take personal responsibility for mm. the planet. Mm. So he says in Laudato Si, in the encyclical, he says quite explicitly at one point, he says, I am writing this encyclical to add it to the body of Catholic social teaching. So what does that mean for For those of us who are Christians, for those of us who are Catholics, it means this is an important document. We need to take this teaching really seriously. We need to find out about it. We need to go and read it. We need to teach it to our kids. We need to teach it to um, each other. We need to be aware of it. And there are a lot of church agencies that have made simplified versions that you can use for children, that you can use for teenagers. If you go to the cathode site, they have these lovely little videos around Laudato Si aimed at different ages of children. There's one for teenagers, one for small kids. So if you have kids, you should show them these videos. Mm. As an adult, I found watching the videos also helpful, even though they're geared at children, and it really propelled me into reading the document. Mm. And the document is readable. It's, it's, it's not a complex document. Um, if, you can, if you can read a newspaper, you can read Laudato Si. You can't read it all in one night because it's about 40,000 words, so it's mm. long. But if you were to kind of read a little chapter, the chapters are not long, read a chapter a week, think about it, ponder it. That's how you should read Catholic social teaching, slowly kind of digesting it over a period of time. Mm. So what does Catholic social teaching say? Well, it starts off by defining the problem. It talks about the research that's already been done. The Pope is very openly saying he's drawing on the research of the world. He's drawing on the research of scientists. Um, he's looking at the body of scientific research that's out there, and the, the church is weighing that body. They're looking at the effects of, of, of global warming and of climate change, and they're saying this is something the church needs to talk about. And why does the church need to talk about it? For two reasons. The one is, so these are two spiritual reasons. The one is that the earth is our gift from God, and and we need to protect it. We need to value it. We need to um, to honor it. Mm. We need to not treat it like something that we can use up and throw away. And so, so, and we'll talk about that a bit more, but Francis there is really leaning into the theology of creation that, that is made explicit in, in the theology of St. Francis of Assisi. The second thing is he, 
is the effect on people. And Pope Francis is quite explicit about this. He's not the only person saying things like this. Um, Ban Ki-moon, the, who, was, who was in charge of the United Nations, has, has said the same. He's saying that the people who are most adversely affected first by climate change are the most vulnerable. That, that those who have wealth and resources can get themselves to somewhere else where they will be safe. Uh, they can find other ways of dealing with climate change. But people who are dependent on a particular crop or on a particular fishing area, people who are living in places that are um, suspect to drought or that may hit have hurricanes, you can think of places like Haiti, these people are more vulnerable and that we're seeing a rise, and, and Pope Francis has said this before, he said, you know, he's talked about the fact that the Third World War is already happening. We don't recognize that it's happening, but it's already happening, and it's a war about resources, maybe disguised as a war about faith, but actually we're looking at the drying out of the Arab areas of the world. We're looking at a scarcity of water, scarcity of of resources and people having to move, people having to migrate. And so we have refugees all over all over the world who are seeking to find ways to survive because survival is no longer possible where they came from. And that's one of the consequences of climate change. So why do you think uh, Pope Francis chose to call it Laudatasi? Laudatasi, okay. So this is a this is a good question. So that as I said before, we're, we're, we're reaching back into Pope Francis looking for a theological and indeed even, I would argue, a spiritual rationale for why we need to care for the planet. And, and there are those two reasons there. The use of the term Laudate Si. So Laudate Si is the title, simultaneously the title of this encyclical. It is also the title of what in English is sometimes called the Canticle of Creation, which is a great hymn of praise of God in creation that St. Francis of Assisi wrote. And the attitude towards creation in the canticle is that Francis of Assisi refers to everything that is created as my brother or my sister. So sister, son, brother, fire, the earth, our mother, our sister. Francis anthropomorphizes creation uh, in order to express his particular love, his deep love, his deep appreciation for creation. For Francis, all of creation is God's creation, is God's gift to us. The contemplation of the birds, the contemplation of fire, the contemplation of our, our sister water is for Francis really the contemplation of God. And Pope Francis, so here I'm speaking of Saint Francis, so so to go and to reread the Canticle of Creation, St. Francis, Pope Francis is saying we need to reconnect with a Franciscan understanding of the world as created as gift by God. And that when we see the world, in, when we have a right relationship with the world, when we see it as gift, when we see ourselves as just another creature, not as lords and masters, but as another creature created by the divine creator, mm. then our hearts will naturally incline us to doing what is right for the world. Mm. And so in picking the title Laudato Si, Pope Francis is, 
is overtly asking us to go back to St. Francis of Assisi's understanding of creation. He's asking us to re-pray the canticle, to pray that canticle as our own. And you know, the canticle of creation is um, it's a very challenging prayer. Uh, one of the, the piece that always challenges me is all of creation Francis sees as good. He even talks about death as our, our, our sister death or brother death who mm. welcomes us, you know, who, 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 which is part of our lives. And I think some of what happens when we are thinking about the world is that we, we kind of, our approach to the world is, of, um, is one of mastery in which we forget that we are creatures and in which we forget that we are also going to die, that, that we, we only live for a brief time and, and that when we die we need to leave something behind us. And mm. do we want to leave a world that is unbreathable, unlivable in, whose waters are polluted, or do we want to leave the world in a sustainable way, essentially the world that we found, and we are failing to do that at the moment. So Francis is very much calling us to, to think about living selfless lives, limpi- living simply, changing the way we think about the world, changing the way we live. Mm. So in closing, what can an ordinary person like me do to, pres- to prevent uh, climate change at home? Okay, so there are, there are lots of things you can do. The first thing I think for Francis would be, for Pope Francis, would be to pray to pray for a heart open to the wonder of creation. And then flowing out of that awareness, to look at your own life and to say, well, what can I change? You know, what can I recycle? How can I reduce my waste? How can I live more sustainably? How can I change the pattern of my life so that I am living in a way that is congruent with what God wants for the world and for me. So it's really a call to simplicity, a call to um, a simpler lifestyle, a more, a, a, a less wasteful lifestyle. So that's on a personal level. But there's also something about really, you know, realizing that we are political creatures, we are social creatures, and we have political voice. We, we may sometimes feel that we have no political voice, and yet human history is full of individuals who speak up against injustice. And in our country at the moment, I think one of the great injustices that are being worked out is injustice against the planet. And sometimes we can lose sight of that because there are other injustices being worked out. But you look at small groups, so for instance, the, the whole project of fracking in the, in the Northern Cape. Very small groups of protesters slowed that process down. Actually, I think have stopped it completely. They've really, they've brought their concerns about the planet, about water preservation, about the preservation of the earth. They've brought the, their concerns to government and they've made a difference. And to look around to see, well, what are the issues in my community? What are the issues in our, my area, particularly to do with mining, because mining is, as we know, incredibly destructive, to do with other issues like recycling, perhaps, um, like industry. What around me looks unsustainable? What needs to just have a little bit more interrogation? 
So there's something about thinking individually, thinking in my household, but also thinking in my community and, and thinking for the country. Francis, thank you so much for talking to me. I look forward to, to, to having more conversation with you on the data in the near future. Thank you very much, Pam. Mm.